Hi, this is Jessica from Suska Says, and you're listening to the Discussing Network. Welcome back, everyone. This is Discussing Who. I am Kyle Jones, and joining me always on this podcast this week, I'm going to start with none other than Clarence Brown. Mr. Brown, how are you? Doing well, man. I am doing well. Can't say that I'm ready to talk about this episode, but it should be interesting. As long as I'm talking amongst friends, I guess we'll have some fun. (laughs) Indeed. And before I reveal what episode this is, because chances are if you're listening to it, you've already either subscribed and saw the title or, well, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, time in the runny before I say Lee Shackelford. How are you? (laughs) Wow. I never thought I would hear my name in such close juxtaposition to Time and the Ronnie. Why don't I, not, you know, I'm insert not sure I like... some silence in there, <laughs> like some crickets before we uh, actually have you talking. How about that? Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I'm um, hunkered down like everybody else. Is that, is that a regional term? I had one of my students uh, ask me what I meant by hunkered down. He wasn't mm. familiar with the word. And we're all from the deep south. We we, we, you say hunkered down in Mississippi, right? No? Have, yeah, certainly. Uh, maybe. Uh, Wait, I've heard it. You don't, you don't think so, Cal? I think that's, that's new to you. I've heard it. No, 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 no. I've, I've heard it. I'm trying to think if I've ever said it. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's just, to me, that's, that's what you do during a tornado. You know, everybody's hunkered down. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So, so the question then becomes, real quick, speaking of tornadoes, mm. I know being in the South – yeah, You know, we had tornadoes here in Mississippi, but I think it came into the Carolinas after it left Mississippi, Alabama areas into Georgia. Right. So did you, did you fare okay? We, we're, we're fine. Yeah, it had worn itself out by the time it got to us. And my mom, who famously was in her house when it was destroyed by a tornado, and she lived to tell the tale. She has never, you know, she, she has quite a sleepless night like um, the other night. So, but she's fine too. Well, Clarence, I believe Carrie informed me that your family was A-OK from the area they're in. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were blessed to come through everything uh, fine. Just, just just, fine, man. It's been such a such a week. I mean, Krakatoa is erupting again. Did you know that? Really? <laughs> and, I didn't know. Yeah. And, and there's, there's been a giant forest fire around uh, Chernobyl. So that's not just your typical plume, you know, smoke plume coming up from a giant forest fire. That's radioactive smoke going up. So uh, it's yeah. So for people who are starting to talk about this seeming like the end times, I I, who knows? (laughs) And maybe who does know? Because let me say this real quick. There was an episode and I think it was it was in the series. Eight, I believe it was right there before the two-part finale, if I'm not mistaken, where the green took over the planet, restored something that the vegetation did in one of the episodes of the 12th Doctor. I'm just saying. Maybe maybe the planet is correcting itself or something. Mm. So, gentlemen, thanks. Glad you're back. And glad we're back. Glad we're all three together. Looking forward to this. So for everyone listening, we are, as I said before, reviewing Time and the Ronnie. But I do have two things in the news. The first of which were two shorts that were written by Stephen Moffat. One was called Rory's Story. And it was 
told by Caitlin Blackwood playing Amy as a child once again. And Lee, you had not seen that story yet. So you want to kind of fill the blanks in of that story? Well, they're, they're such sweet little things for fans of Amy and Rory and who are up to date on where we left those characters. Uh, so it follows logically on from that. So if you don't know sort of how we parted with Amy and Rory, it probably wouldn't make any sense. Well, no, the Rory one won't. The the one that Caitlin Blackwood recorded it really is about, well, I don't know, there's some spoilers in there too, now that I think about it. So yeah, it's certainly for people who've seen all of the Amy and Rory episodes of Doctor Who, but yeah. uh, I, I wouldn't want to say more about them. I, I, I know, and I think you did a plot. brilliant, just, brilliant well, Brilliant, brilliant. And let me say one more time, brilliant, non-spoilery way, no pun intended, (laughs) of uh, telling that story. But but Arthur Darville and very briefly, the voice, at least, of Karen Gillan and uh, and Caitlin Blackwood, who was the young Amelia Pond. And um, she's all grown up now because that was a good long time ago. But her voice is still instantly recognizable as Amelia. So it, it all works. It's brilliant. Very much brilliant. Yeah, I was just going to add that. I think my only question is, and I don't think this is too spoilery, how do you power the only cell phone? <laughs> I'm afraid that I wondered that too. He's got a he's got a friend who works in radio who's told him how to how to step down a a, a DC current so that it doesn't yep. just pop that phone wide open. Yeah. <laughs> I actually have a very logical explanation for that. Mm. So we know that there is something in story for, for Amy and Rory. And again, not going to spoil that. I will say that whatever that in story element might have been, there could have been a visitor that was being written about that Mike could have brought smartphones to this particular character. So I'll leave it at that. Mm. And if you, all right, Lee, you had one other piece of news that is related directly in, in many ways to the story that we are reviewing tonight. So this has to do with, I believe, was it, were the Bakers, and I'm not talking Tom or Colin, but were the Bakers the writers or were they the producers or what were they in association they wrote several episodes of uh, doctor who uh, a rare combination pip and jane they were a husband and wife team who wrote for television and um they wrote for a lot of different things um uh, a, a lot of them sort of um b movie kind of uh, monster horror one-off kind of things so you know, not to what we think of as a prestigious career, but I uh, I respect anybody who who writes and can keep making a living at it, which which they did. Um, but yeah, one of the things that they wrote was Time and the Ronnie, which um, of all things is what we're going to talk about tonight. And I say of all things because Pip apparently passed away uh, as we're recording this today. It was either today or yesterday. So rest in peace, sir. Uh, Jane. Uh, passed uh, in 2004 if memory serves so um he's uh, he's been without his partner for a while now so i don't know maybe they're back together and they're writing something already who knows but who knows but like you said you know you spent all of those years you would you know collaborating together and i think that's kind of special you know it really is um creative teams like that husband and wife teams that, that really is it's very it's very unusual well, kudos and, and, to him. Uh, 
Yeah, 91 years old. I'm reading an article here. Uh, he actually created the Ronnie. That's right. This is his lasting contribution to to Doctor Who. Yeah, is that he wrote Mark of the Ronnie and Time of the Ronnie. So, uh, or they did, I should say. So, uh, yeah. So as we well are as Mel. and and Mel. Yeah, say what you will. So, <laughs> and I know we will. So, yeah, I would but, rather yeah, not, was, but I know for, we have to. <laughs> but for better or for worse, somebody Kyle forced us to talk about Time and the Ronnie this time, and it apparently has has killed Pip Baker. So that's. Mm. Mm. Well, no, I'm going to blame it on, you know what, I'm going to blame it on whoever, even, and I'll blame it on myself if I was the one that said, let's do Caves of Androzani, because I only chose this because it rhymed with Androzani. (laughs) Well, and now we have sort of the Ronnie bookends as well, but... uh... But I will say, this is an interesting thing. We're talking about sort of um, marking people's um, uh, anniversaries and passings. Uh, this week, it was also uh, Peter Davison's birthday, just about the time that you released our episode of uh, Caves of Androzani. And then I think today is uh, Peter Capaldi's birthday. Indeed it is. Yeah. And then um, Exit Pip Baker. So there you go. A big week for Doctor Who landmarks. Indeed. Anyway. Well, before we move on, and let me uh, throw this one last piece of Caves of Androzani. Clarence, I actually thought about you while I was doing the editing because I've been throwing in different you know, tags at the beginning of our episodes. And I've had uh, Olivia from Oz9. I've had Nadia from Relativity. And thankfully, we have Peter Davison doing, you know, you're listening to Discussing Who. And I was like... Well, it would be appropriate to put it at the beginnings of Caves of Androzani. And how do you fit into that? Well, I'm, whenever I'm putting that in, I actually replayed the whole scene of myself going up and not being able to really talk and you having to tell me what it was that, it, that I said back and forth, because I still don't remember what I said <laughs> to the man. Oh, man, everybody gets a little nervous around a doctor. That is true. <laughs> that is true. But you know what I don't get nervous around? I don't get nervous around when I am able to say, if you have not seen Time of the Ronnie or Time and the Ronnie, put us on pause, either one of them. If you have not seen one that doesn't exist or one that does, put us on pause. Go out, watch the episode, come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers. 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 Alrighty, the spoiler warning has gone out and we are back to review Time and the Ronnie. This was the first story of the 24th season of Doctor Who. It aired in four parts between the 7th and the 28th of September 1987 and it features Sylvester McCoy's first appearance as the 7th Doctor. And I can't wait to say this. Clarence Brown, what say ye? Summary view. What did you think of this story? Yep, that answers the question, right? Silence will fall. Hello? Hello, people. I don't know about this episode. (laughs) I dare say it may be one of my least favorite episodes of doctor who period and this is a man who's this is a man who's watched the two doctors (laughs) yeah yeah that's true Mm -hmm. um 
I don't know. It just throws you in there, which I think is interesting because you kind of have to get your bearings. And uh, I just think, don't think a lot went on in this episode, in these episodes. Um, yeah, I just don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I didn't enjoy it, just just to be blunt. Uh, like all of these multi-episode um, arcs, there's always one that you can throw away, seemingly. And I think that was the third one for me. I think it started very inter- uh, in- interestingly. I love uh, Ronnie doing her thing as far as the costume um, portraying Mill. I thought that was interesting. But other than that, I just really did not like the episode, man. I really did. <laughs> what about you guys? Um, well, I was reluctant to do it and to, to talk about it in the first place because I remembered that I don't I don't care for this one very much at all. But I I, I enjoyed watching it this time around more than I expected to because I had really forgotten that this is uh, Sylvester McCoy sort of trying on the doctor's skin. And, and some of that is, is a lot of fun. There's a, there's a tone shift definitely that he's sometimes he's just plain silly. I don't know. I, I I enjoyed that for what it is, but, um, but yeah, for the most part, it's, it's another one of these stories where we're, we're, we're plunked down into a situation very quickly and we don't, kind of don't know who's who. So it's very hard for us to figure out whose side we're on. And, you know, okay, there's the Ronnie. Well, we're probably not on her side, but what's she up to? It is, it's, it's just, it does kind of meander for four episodes. And, um, so, yeah, you know, meh. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say that I didn't really enjoy this one either. There are elements that I did enjoy. I'm going to echo what you said, Lee. There were elements that I enjoyed, particularly the aliens. They, I found them more enjoyable than some other aspects. I actually enjoyed the Ronnie. I thought she did an excellent, excellent job. There's one thing that I particularly can't stand about the story, but what I take away from this more so is the discussion that, that I hope we have about the transition from doctor to doctor. As mm-hmm. far as the story goes, I'm going to go meh more so than anything else. I will say this about the Bakers. I know they wrote this particular story. I will say that from my research that I did today, I don't believe that they knew who would be portraying the doctor when they wrote it. So if it sounds a little like not fitting, they just knew it was a new doctor. They didn't know it was going to be actor A, B, C, or D. Yeah. 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 And it feels rather disappointing because I, I enjoyed the Mark of the Ronnie. I enjoyed that series. And if it's the same writers writing this one, I just feel like they totally missed the mark. <laughs> uh, no pun intended. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so let's get into the first episode. And I want to particularly get into the beginning, literally the beginning of the episode. Because oh dear. this is a pre-sequence episode. So yeah, yeah, it's a teaser. Yeah. It's a teaser. We don't get those often in Classic Who. So we see, and I think this teaser was written in, and keep me honest here, Lee, but my understanding is 
Colin Baker was asked to return. Colin Baker, in response, said, I would like to return for a final season and be written out. And the BBC never returned his call, if that's my my understanding is correct, that he wanted to do a complete series and say, okay, this will be my last one and be gone. But they only wanted him to either do one story or even just a scene. Right. Yeah, they they literally asked him to um, get hit on the head and fall on the floor. And he he had been criticized for this over the years. But, you know, looking back on it now, I'm really with Colin on this, that he basically told them all to go climb a tree. Because he was he was basically being fired. The the only time this has happened to an actor playing the doctor since William Hartnell, it wasn't because the actor left. They just decided that the sixth doctor thing wasn't working. Uh, I don't know what other kind of, you know, behind the camera things were going on, but they just decided we need another doctor. We're going to move on and we want you to shoot this scene where you fall down and turn into Sylvester McCoy. And he just said, no, um, let's. Let me finish out this this particular season, for heaven's sake, and you know we'll make that the big end of the season. But don't don't just push me down and you know take my costume away in the middle of the season. Yeah. And um and uh, they so they said okay, you had your chance. <laughs> Bye. So Clarence, what you know you you go into this story knowing really nothing about the story, and you see this start off with. A regeneration. What was your thoughts going into and seeing that? I felt very cheated. <laughs> um, we're so used to the buildup uh, of of a doctor leaving, and I even asked you guys when I you know my first five minutes of watching this yeah. this series, I started typing, you know, jumped in our Slack. Uh, did I miss an episode? Yeah. <laughs> Should I go back What's and watch? Something? Right. And I said, it won't help. Because <laughs> no. you actually, and then you went further to say, I'm confused. And Lee, you said something like, and so were six, uh, six million. Six million. Other, yeah. 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 Everybody who was watching this uh, at the time was going, wait, what? And and, and I know I, I am so often the person saying that we have to judge the way a television show or anything looks from our point of view. You have to judge it on what was available to anybody at the time, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm always sticking up for the, the, the special effects and lighting and costume design of the original Star Trek, for example. And I just want to grab people sometimes and say, it was 1966. Do you understand? You know, um, <laughs> but man, the, this whole thing of the TARDIS being shot down and it's landing on uh, LaCurcia is just it's just appalling. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's so so bad that you you really want to say was there not a point? Surely there was a point in production where everybody looked at this in the editing suite and said, "We going to go with this?" And somebody said, "Yeah, looks great." Mm. I mean, because uh, Doctor Who, of course, classic Who, famously has lots of moments like this. Uh, 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 like in just in the third and fourth Doctor's time, there's the the um, not stop motion dinosaurs in the you know the the dinosaur one <laughs> and, uh, that are pretty pretty embarrassing, and um, and then the the uh, kind of GI Joe tank and uh, robot and that kind of stuff. It's just like oh ouch oh oh dear. So you just have to kind of look away from the you screen. You happen but, to be talking about that third Dr. Dinosaur that was like peeping around the side of a building, which, yeah, <laughs> I love that. It's, uh, 
it, it's you understand that this is not what they wanted, <laughs> but it's what they're going to have to settle. For. So, so tell me and, what and this the same things happened here. So tell me what you guys think of. Not only do they get a new doctor, they get a new logo a new opening sequence and so much so of a new opening sequence that this is the only one other than the 1996 movie that uses what they call the middle eighth as the intro. So Clarence, when you see this new, you know, you're not hearing the music. What did you think? Uh, The music certainly felt off. Um, did not like it at all. And I'm usually the person says, you know, the music doesn't matter that much to me. It, it, it felt very, very off. And for that matter, I understand it's what the late eighties by the time we're getting this 87, 87. Uh, and of course there's a, a higher prevalence of computer generated things. I, I hated the use of the computer generated effects on the intro. And, you know, it may have been top of the line when it came out in 87, but it just, it's my least favorite Doctor Who intro. Yeah. What about the logo? Yeah. It just felt very 80s. Yeah. Uh, neon. <laughs> right. Very 80s. Yeah. <laughs> I I was in uh, I was in graduate school in the in the mid 80s and uh, I I and that's where I met my uh, my my lifelong pal uh, David Duncan who was a graphic artist even back then and he used to to, to joke about uh, how uh, uh, other graphic artists in the 80s were saying well, let's just spin the wheel o graphic arts you know <laughs> okay this logo is going to be uh, on a grid and it's going to be dusty rose and there's going to be drop shadows under the letters. Uh, <laughs> he said, he's right. Everything looked the same. They, everything looked like that. The art department at the BBC has been tasked since 1963 with trying to figure out how to make the words Doctor Who into something interesting and exciting. And it, it amazes me that it took us all the way up until the time of uh, the, the, the Matt Smith era to just make it DW and to frame it so that it looks like the two yes. sides of the TARDIS, you know, that's, I just think that's inspired. And, but, and I, I will always love the, uh, the fourth doctor's diamond logo, but I know that a lot of that is just nostalgia, but I just think that it is visually very interesting, but it is also to me, that's still my doctor, you know, that, that, that diamond logo thing. But um, yeah, some of the others I can take or leave. But the but the Sylvester McCoy era logo with the big chunks that I guess are supposed to be asteroids or popcorn or something. I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's, or gallstones. I don't know. <laughs> I just no. It's just awful. It's just. But I will say I do like the middle eight. I just don't yes. like it as the intro. Right. And I don't like it. They use something called a Prophet 5 synthesizer, and that was what the music was played on, and it does not age well. No, and and I I admire so much the way the original theme was made, and even when it was remade, uh, it was still um, pieced together. In, in the extraordinary way that uh, Dealey Derbyshire uh, uh, made the performance of this out of all these other found and altered sounds. So then to now sit down at a keyboard and just play it to me feels like I've just always felt like this is the point at which we started cheating, you know, <laughs> and, and that's just, you know, uh, affection and praise for Dealey Derbyshire and the original theme. But um, but this just it, just everything about this seems wrong to me. 
And and I'm glad you mentioned the year because I'd like to mention for Star Trek fans out there <laughs> that um, one of the first big cinema uses of a computer-generated graphic was uh, in The Wrath of Khan. And that was five years before this. So, the you know, the whole Project Genesis video when... Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. This is Genesis. That's all generated. That was. I've, 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 we should never say computer generated. It's computer art. It was a. It was a beautiful thing that was that was made by artists in a computer. Yeah, that was five years before this. The opening titles for Doctor Who here, which look like they're they are in a, a, a you know a video game. They, they look like something from a hmm. Galaga <laughs> and. And and Wrath of Khan had already shown us what was possible years before. So, and, yeah. and, and I don't want to be too harsh on the we mentioned of the synth used for the music and stuff. Everything in the eighties sounds sounds the same for yeah. a reason. That's right. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, but 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 yeah, like you guys mentioned, it it just does not age well. Just does not. And you know what? I'll I'll take it one step further. And for any of our discussing Trek fans that are listening to this will probably most likely agree with me here, which is about the same time, if not the exact same time in 87 when this was coming out, there was this very beautiful and very realistic and one that has aged very well opening sequence of Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm. Nope. That was practical, though. Well, yeah. I mean, that was filming a miniature, but um, stars and planets, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's true. It, it, I know that some elements of that were manipulated in a, a computer, but but you're right. that, that That's a miniature they were filming. And, and still, uh, the music, too. Yeah. So. And, and I know, you know, I was around Next Generation enough to know the, the uh, just the sheer uh, a truckload of money that was being uh, undumped <laughs> every every week on that on that show, and it's just you know the, the BBC doing this show that they still think is a kids show for tea time. You know, it's just you could have done this whole season for what you did one episode of Next Generation on, and um, yeah, so, so I know they're being shortchanged on the 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 what they had to work with. Yeah, but, yeah, and I will add to that just, that this is the season of the great Doctor Who villain that was trying his very best to creatively <laughs> axe the series, Michael Grade, like I said, yeah. the great evil of Doctor Who, as mm -hmm. I like to call him. <laughs> oh, hey, uh, my, my, uh, my computer wanted me to know, I mean, not my computer, my phone wanted me to know about Michael Grade. Kudos mm -hmm. to my phone. Yeah. Our phones are smart. You know, we, we when the three of us were talking about this the other day, I dictated something into my uh, my Slack app on my phone, and I said something about time and the Ronnie, and it capitalized time and spelled Ronnie correctly and capitalized the R. I said, well, well. <laughs> All righty. <laughs> I did not see that coming. Well, I want to know what you guys thought, because this is one thing that I've always found interesting. We do see in the first episode of this serial, when, you know, we had talked about this being a new intro and everything, we do see a new intro of a new doctor. So mm. what did you guys think about seeing the doctor try out his different 
outfit, wardrobe, costumes, whatever you want to call it, and choose one. And Clarence, why don't you take this first? Uh, I don't know if there's a lot to say about it. Other <laughs> than uh, I, I think it was cool that the Ronnie was there to actually watch him and, <laughs> and semi-critique <laughs> what he was putting on. So that was very enjoyable. And and, and just like um, it, the regeneration with the Ronnie being around in general, I love that she was there. And we might get into it a little later, but I love that she was there to kind of fool him in a sense and push him in the wrong direction. I thought all that was fun, actually. Maybe the best part of the episode to me. But as far as her in the in the wardrobe, I, I, re- I really like that. I thought that was pretty cool. And, you know, uh, the, the, the the graduation hat, he, he tried mm-hmm. a few things that I thought were pretty funny. So, yeah, I enjoyed that. And ultimately, I don't know if I like what he chose, but hey. <laughs> That's all right. right. Or, or what John Nathan Turner chose for yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. But, all right. Uh, so, Lee, what say you? Well, uh, those of us who are Fourth Doctor fans uh, get the shout out here because this is more or less exactly the way the Fourth Doctor chooses his outfit is that he keeps going in and out of the the TARDIS like it's a dressing room and uh each each outfit is more ridiculous than the last and then finally he comes out with the uh the 14 foot long scarf and the hat and he's kind of bohemian yeah whatever that you know the heck it is and the brigadier just fed up at this point says yes yes that's fine let's yes let's go so so yeah so then we get this doctor comes out wearing the second doctor's fur coat from uh from the yetis and uh and then he reveals that he's got something else on that is, for the first time, something that he can actually wear. So the Ronnie says, yes, yes, good. That's perfect. <laughs> so, But yeah, he, we do sort of shout outs there because he he's wearing something kind of like uh, the fourth Doctor's and then uh, something kind of like the third. And then he's wearing what looks like the fifth Doctor's uh, outfit. Right. With the, Except with his cricket pads on. And, yeah, that, that yeah. fourth Doctor rendition was what I call the John Nathan Turner version because in mm. Tom Baker's last series he wore you know a different scarf and mm-hmm. uh, the purplish reddish uh, right. thing that he was wearing so I thought that yeah. was cool and I like what Clarence said I liked having the Ronnie there as the character that is you know watching and being with the doctor <laughs> there and he's obviously trying her patience but if she's <laughs> pretending to be Mel she can't let on so which? This this episode does give you a moment where Sylvester McCoy is wearing Colin Baker's costume and Kate O'Mara is wearing Bonnie Langford's costume <laughs> <laughs> as they're standing there. It's sort of like, wow, we just decided to recast the show, didn't we? But so <laughs> didn't kiss the intro. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I want to throw it out to you guys, which new uh, or regenerated doctor reveal costume reveal is your favorite Ooh, and which cool. is your worst? Ooh, that's a very good question. That's an excellent question. Hmm. And several times he's stolen his clothes, which I always think is interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's actually a very good question. Clarence is I I'm having trouble Lee. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I, I'm going to have to go back to the fourth doctor in robot just because, um, but that is probably just um, nostalgia and sentiment. But um, it's a funny sequence, and then he ends up with something that is uh, that at least looks like he can walk around town in, you know. <laughs> but it's still weird, you know. So what I find so. weird about the answer to my question is the 
answer to my question I, coincides with my two favorite doctors, which is the fourth doctor and the tenth doctor. Yeah. So what about you? Let's throw that question back on you. Oh, man. I don't know about worst, um, but my favorite has to be Matt Smith's by far. <laughs> Just because of the zaniness of it. Yeah. <laughs> And, and and finally, somebody calls him out on it. He says, you know, those aren't your clothes. And he says, I just saved the world. You know, they can bill me. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. So l- let's go and let's talk just for a moment about the impersonation that the Ronnie was doing. She uses it. Okay, so, so the doctor, you know, wakes up and they're always disoriented at the beginning and I want to ask Clarence what what you and I want you know I want to know from both of you but considering the fact that we've just come off of two different classic predecessors to this particular doctor how would you characterize this doctor as in contrast to these two previous ones how would you describe him hmm. I'm still not sure I know who he is um I don't he seems a little Hapless is the wrong word. Um, nonchalant in a way. Uh, he, he has these quotes that he doesn't never really know how to finish. Uh, so I think that's Zany. I'm like, was that carried over? Did they introduce it here? I don't know. I, I think so much of this story is him trying to find himself amongst being shot up with this amnesia gun. And so I'm really not, not sure who we saw in this episode. Um, is, is he going to be a lot different by the next time things roll around? I don't know. I'm, I'm really unsure, to be completely honest. All right, Lee, what say you? Yeah, I think that's fair. That uh, it's is this really the seventh Doctor yet, or is it just uh, who he is um, post regeneration plus amnesia drugs? Um, yeah, but he is. We do get sort of his um, uh, playfulness and uh, his. Um, um, I think if he were an ordinary human, we would wonder if uh, he is taking, if he has failed to take his uh, ADHD meds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Huh. So I saw him and, and, and this is one reason and Nicole, forgive me for what I'm about to say, but this is one reason I've never connected as much with the seventh doctor as any of the other uh, original classic doctors. I did not like the almost borderline slapstickness of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, one of the things that really kind of grated on me that he did was when, like, they were running and he was going to run around a corner. It was this little kind of skip jump or something mm-hmm. sideways. Yeah. And <sighs> I, I just thought that that was a little. Too slapstick for me. Almost Three Stooges like. Yes, exactly. That I was trying to put my finger on it. You, you, and you, and you just did it exactly. Yeah. Three Stooges, and I well, love the and, Three Stooges. Right, and and they are. Uh, I was just talking with uh, somebody about this the other day. Uh, the word clown is um, is is really misused and misunderstood, and so I'm always on this campaign for people to <laughs> to, to to know what a clown is. If I say clown and you got a mental picture, what you're thinking of is a circus clown. But but clowning is much broader than that, much older than that, and really just means um, using any aspect of your body of nonverbal storytelling um, to 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 get a laugh, you know, to to be humorous. 
Um, and so there are a lot of performers who are terrific clowns without ever putting, you know, a, a white face, uh, you know, and painting a smile on their face. Lucy yeah. Ball. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. Lucy was a fantastic clown. And um, mm. Carol Burnett. Yes. Uh, I was just admiring some of her clowning the other day. And yeah, the list goes on and on. Uh, Harpo Marx, my absolute hero in this way. Well, this is what Sylvester McCoy is known for. He's known as a clown. Uh, he... Also, by this time in his career, he's also done some remarkable dramatic turns as well. I was already a fan of his, thanks to my interest in um, uh, the Antar- the Golden Age of Antarctic exploration, because he was he was in um, the big um, miniseries uh, about the the Scott expedition, the the ill fated Scott expedition, to the South Pole, uh, film series called uh, The Last Place on Earth, and uh, Sylvester McCoy is one of the the men in the expedition. It's not funny. <laughs> it is not funny, and he's terrific. But now, you know, in the Lord of, in the in the Hobbit films, we would see him as Radagast, who is a comic relief character, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and we would bird poo at his hair, you know, and things like you know. It's just so. Um, so yeah, he he had to have been conscious of the fact that his reputation as a clown is one of the, the reasons he's been he's been hired so he's gonna he's gonna play some of this very broad and very silly which is obviously very different from colin baker i mean mel says you're like a completely different person <laughs> you know, yes yes he yeah. is but but as as his time goes by and there's so much chaos you know behind the scenes at the at the show i mean with with grade trying to kill the show and, and and the showrunner making you know some some chancy choices and so on that that it, there isn't a strong hand on the tiller anywhere, and uh, so Sylvester McCoy is kind of all over the place, but he but his doctor does settle down, <laughs> he does. Yeah, I was I was I was uh, texting uh, Kyle uh, earlier this week. I was saying, you know, we've kind of played a mean trick on Clarence here because we know how much he loves Perry, and he's been looking forward to Ace, but we skipped. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we didn't skip. We got we got the companion in between those two. We've got Mel. <laughs> We're giving him Mel instead of Ace. That's 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 not but, me. But, that's but is this <laughs> is this Mel's first episode? No, no, no. Mel was okay, a, okay. a companion right. of the Sixth Doctor. Yeah, she gotcha. she she takes over from Perry under very weird circumstances. That are <laughs> we we could do a whole show about that. But yeah, she'll eventually. Um, have her own strange departure and uh and then we'll then we'll meet ace and we'll be with ace to the end of the classic series so maybe what we're really really doing is showing an appreciation for ace and showing an appreciation for perry by yes showing mel right who i cannot abide I just, it's one of the reasons why I don't watch these episodes at this time before, because no matter how interesting Colin Baker or Sylvester McCoy or anything else going on are, Mel just makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I just, I, I just, yeah. So Clarence, what was your impression of Mel? I, oh, well, there are some things I liked about her. I like that she's a computer, computer programmer. I think that's what was said in the episode. There you go. Yep. So, hey, she, she yeah. had you there. Yeah. Very, It'd be all bad, catch. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, very interesting selection of clothing. You know, seems very eighties to me. So you know, it's cool. Um, other than that, I don't know if I got a real sense of who she is. Of course, new doctor. She's trying to figure him out. 
So I, I I don't know if I got a real sense of who she is other than being, you know, she was investigative like most other companions. Uh, I, I know you guys have one huge uh, gripe with her, which I'm sure we get into. She hurt my ears. But they probably told her, scream, now scream. This is in your script. I don't know. I, I, she's definitely not my favorite of the companions. It may be at the bottom of a list so far, but it, it and I'm, I can't quite put my finger on it, but I don't think I have enough knowledge of her to give a true assessment, quite honestly. But you guys, the historians, what do you think? <laughs> well, yeah, we, we both have the same problem with Bonnie Langford's voice. And it's interesting because she is an accomplished. I mean, uh, 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 that's uh, uh, accomplished is an understatement. She she is a uh, 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 a widely recognized and, and acclaimed singer. Um, I think that what she's doing on the West End right now or last I heard anyway, was she's playing uh, the Lady in the Lake in Spamalot. And that is an extremely difficult role to sing. So when I read that, I thought, wow, Bonnie, you go, girl. <laughs> if you're do-, you know, so more power to her. But her speaking voice uh, just gets on my nerves. And, um, and yeah, it is always the companion's job to scream. They're always getting caught up by monsters or something, and they scream for the doctor. And that's been true since 1963. But that, oy. Okay. It is. It's like a dog whistle. Her, that, you, you think that her voice would be would go beyond the range of my ears to hear, but to, to, look, like, I'm hearing impaired, and I can hear her. <laughs> and, and if so, she hurts your ears, yes. And and, and 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 so let me say this. You know how last episode we were talking uh-huh. about the producer or the director that misread the scene and said, look into and break the fourth wall. And they said, go with it. So somebody saw the word scream and told her, you need to screech. Exactly. Yeah. If you don't understand the difference between screech and scream. Yeah. Yeah. Perry had to scream sometimes. It didn't, didn't hurt my head. I don't know. And and I don't mean this in any way disrespectful to her as an actress. I want to say that the direction that she was given, because you're giving her accolades that are of things that are hard to do. I'm going Mm -hmm. to chalk this up to she was given bad direction or it was bad casting and she was put in a role that was not made for her. Yeah. But I think the result is. She's one of the reasons I don't like the seventh doctor was because mm. I can't deal with her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, once you get past her, then we can get on to Ace. Um, yeah. During her time with the sixth doctor, um, I would say that the, the scripts are part of the problem because what I didn't like about Mel, and this is not about Bonnie Langford, but that they made her uh, a scold. They made her um, the doctor's harshest critic. And so she's she's always after him to change that she, she's got a long list of things about him that she doesn't think are are good. And so she's she's out to to fix him. Yeah, it's 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 unpleasant. It's a it's it's a it's an interesting idea, but it's just it just makes you dislike her. I think it makes most people just dislike her. She particularly thinks the doctor needs to lose weight. So she's she's got him on an exercise bike. And you may have seen it that in this story, it's the bike is still there in the TARDIS control room. But yeah, so Colin Baker was always huffing and puffing on the exercise bike and she's making him drink carrot juice. And that turns up in this uh, thing as well. What? Yeah. That makes me like her even less. It's just, yeah. 
let me say this, and then I'll leave the poor uh, character alone. <laughs> I did do a, a poll on Twitter, and for anyone listening, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find us at Discussing Who. And I asked the question, which companion of the Seventh Doctor do you prefer, Ace or Male? Ninety <laughs> percent of all responses said Ace. Yes. Yes. So there were some votes for Mel in there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Believe it or not, and I would say that since I only put this up very short length of time because I wanted to have it in time for us to record tonight, right. there was only one vote. So I had ten votes that, that you know ten people voted. So there was only one. Yeah. Nine, one. So I want to like stress yeah. that she didn't have a hundred votes or a thousand. She right. had one. Yeah, but still. <laughs> but still. Nine for Ace. <laughs> Let's talk real quick about the Lacursians. And what did you guys think of the visual look of these aliens called the Lacursians? And Clarence, what, what were your thoughts of them as a whole, as their look and as the characters? Uh, I think the look felt very believable, if if you can say that from an alien on a weird planet. I, I liked it though. I liked it though. I didn't I didn't think it was too goofy, as compared to some things we may have seen in recent seasons. Um, but I liked it. I liked that it was colorful. I, w- I was wondering about the name Lakersians Laker. Uh, were the Lakers popular around this time? I don't know. Um, <laughs> But but yeah, I, I quite liked the look. As far as their personalities, they felt very human. I don't think there was anything about them that really separated them distinctly as a different you know <laughs> species of beings, other than the look. Um, but yeah, I think they were sufficient. Uh, and, and you know, under the rule of the Ronnie, I guess you could say, in in this episode or these this series. Um, not as big a fan. Um, I, I, the, the, the scales on their skin is a, it's, it seems, it feels like a step in the right direction, but I just, it's not a convincing effect. So I just didn't buy it. Um, they did kind of make me think of the way, uh, Jack Kirby, uh, originally drew, uh, Triton of the Inhumans. Oh yeah. And, uh. So I thought, okay, cool. I'll buy that. Because I, 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 I never had any difficulty believing that Triton, you know, didn't, was supposed to be in the water. <laughs> he just kind of looked like he, you know, he looked like he should. So um, uh, that might have been interesting if there was some way to to uh, make these guys amphibian or something. But uh, you know, yeah, we, we 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 do have to move on, and we don't have a lot of money here. We're going to spend <laughs> all the money on the tetraps instead, which is. Very interesting to me, but all right. So before we talk about them, and then I'll come back and yeah. let you mention them. Mm-hmm. I thought, and I think the gentleman's or the character's name was Icona. I thought that that was a very interesting choice he made as an actor or the direction that he was given when he and the screeching Mimi were running. <laughs> the the way. Uh, what's her face? Uh, Mel. Mel. Uh, when they Screaming were, when they were screeching, when they were That's running, he kept his arms straight. Yeah, almost like the uh, Naruto run a little bit. Yes. Which, if you look it up, you should entertain yourself. Look up Naruto <laughs> run. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's get let's get to the bat people. What did you think? And Lee, you just mentioned them. What did you think of the heads, eyes around your head, bat people? Yeah, it's it's another one of those times where we're being treated to a, a costume for a creature, and um, 
you know, I, I, I always have mixed feelings about that. But uh, uh, points to them for having the idea that they've got eyes all around their head. <laughs> and, yeah. and the interesting audio mixing of their voices, which were both uh, masculine and feminine at the same time. And that's something I've always wanted to do with a character. And uh, I just uh, – so as – as sort of silly and, and unbelievable as they were in some ways, uh, I did think that was really interesting. I, I liked the the, uh, the uh, alarming de- design of their heads. That tongue thing is really upsetting. That's um, <laughs> once you've seen it, you just can't unsee it, and it's a uh, yeah. Anyway, so did, I, did I miss the tongue thing? I- yeah, they the the tetraps paralyzed two people. Um, I guess it's Mel and the Doctor, right? Yeah, yeah. I thought oh, they yeah, were like yeah. a vampire. No, yeah. they 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 shot their tongues out like frogs, and they and oh, they, they stuck to her neck. <laughs> yeah, I totally missed that. <laughs> yeah, well, good. That means you can sleep at night. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, but um, and and again, uh, points to uh, Bonnie Langford. I'll give her this: is that she's supposed to, you know, turn stiff like a statue, and she does. And they pick her up, and she's she's got the physical control where she didn't break it. She looked like she's yeah. just turned to stone, and uh, I thought that was good. So. Yeah, agreed. I will also add that I even noticed they did a lot of detail with that because there are several times you see them from the back of their head and the eye, at least on one of them, was moving a little bit as they were walking around. So I was like, okay, they did, you know, pay some serious detail here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it, it seemed to me that all of those eyes were moving independently of each other, which kind of randomly, but still... (laughs) All right, so let's talk for a minute, if you guys will, about the ultimate end game that the Ronnie was playing with, because I think this was just sort of like brushed over almost to the end about, and I'm still not quite understanding what it was that she was doing. Do either of you? I think I have it. Now, I, I do think that the story would have been served better if they would have trickle, trickled out some of these things throughout the four episode arc instead of for what two thirds of the entire story just saying, oh, there's something behind that door. Yes. Yeah. Know what it is. Yeah. And that asteroid would kill us all. Yeah. <laughs> so, OK. Yeah. And then we get it all as an info dump. Yeah. 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 yeah I agree. Yeah. One thing that I want to mention before we move on, in episode three, there is a scene where they go into something called the center of leisure, and all these people look drugged out, and there's like these little bitty rooms, and they're they're walking around them, and I'm thinking, are are you trying to do a very PC <laughs> version of a... It's the 80s, man. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? It was like, uh, what are you trying to say without saying here? I like that. I thought it was interesting. Probably one of the most interesting things in the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just like lounging out, chilling, don't not a care in the world. They're not going to care. Don't yeah. ask me anything. They, they may not tell you anything. You know, they're kind of just drugged out, I would assume, but they didn't say that. But, you know. Yeah. No, but it was strongly well, well, one of the things that, that got brought up earlier was that um, the, the climate on the planet is so pleasant that the uh, that the Lycursians don't want to do anything. Oh, okay. Um, or, or that was that was something that the, the Ronnie said, and she, but she said that the doctor was the one who'd said it. Um, don't know if that's true or not, but um, 
I don't know. It's 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 a it's a yeah. So they don't care that that uh, the Ronnie has had this um, this hornet's nest installed over their heads in the <laughs> so they they are. It is. It's an opium den. I mean, they 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 just do not care. Yeah, I'm I'm really kind of not sure what that was supposed to be about. But beware of the disco ball. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is always good advice. <laughs> you know, whenever I first saw the disco ball before I knew what it was, I was thinking, is this one of the spheres that Missy had in the eighth series at the end of it? And I was thinking, <laughs> uh, is that what that is? Hmm. Yeah, you got me. I don't I, I that would have to be coincidence, I think. I don't Yeah. I, I doubt anybody's trying to connect things to time and the Ronnie here, but Well, that's true too. But, but no, ultimately, Clarence, you said you, you think you've got this. And I, I so maybe we can check each other on this, but I, I think the idea was that if she got her her pet brain <laughs> sufficiently full of genius information. So she needed another Time Lord, and she's got Einstein in there, and and several other uh, you know famous geniuses. Um, that then this asteroid will strike the planet, and the resulting explosion will uh, surround the atmosphere with chronons, and the brain will grow to uh, cover the entire planet, and then we'll have this single intelligence surrounded by particles of time itself and from there somehow or at least she thinks she's going to be able to rewrite history that she will have complete and total control of of, of time itself mm. is, the, the, it, is that how you understood that or the, the only part of it's that, like, that go ahead it's mostly double talk but of course <laughs> but you know yeah the only part i didn't get of that was the brain growing yeah i i, I got that she were, were she was Acquiring all these intelligent minds for this mother brain. Right. All humans, mind you, which I'm sure we're not the smartest race. In the right. <laughs> One time Lord and a bunch of humans. Yep. Really? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Right. Be yep. that as it may. <laughs> to, in order to figure out this basic or this composite of material, which I think they said was helium two, that was needed in order to start the chain of events you just mentioned. Right. In order to change creation or any point in time that she wanted to to manipulate uh, creation, I guess. Yes. Very confusing. Very confusing. Yeah. (laughs) But but once I started, I watched this three times over the course of last week. So I feel that if there's a if there's a badge that you should get for, you know, taking one for the team in the dark one. Yeah. I feel like I watched time. They're only three times trying to prepare for this. Guy. All right. So because you I didn't always pay good attention to it, because I'll be honest. you did that, you get to pick our next story. Excellent. OK, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> but but one of the things I got from that that I really appreciated was that once I understood what what her uh, crazy plan is, I really came to admire that. I thought this is this makes me think of uh, Thanos and this whole notion that the the universe is overpopulated. So let's just get rid of half of it. You know that there, there's a point. There's a, a part of you that wants to say, "Well, he's not wrong about that." Yeah, <laughs> I just true. really don't like the way he's going about it. But you know, it, I, okay, I kind of. <laughs> you know. So here's the same thing. She she says creation is chaotic. I'm going to go back like on this planet Earth that you like so much. When, as Clarence is right, apparently she really likes it too. Uh, <laughs> she says, uh, you know, I'm going to start that 
whole planet's evolution over again. And we're going to do it my way this time. And, you know, there's a part of you that this kind of goes, that's actually a good plan. I mean, I'm not saying it's a good idea. I'm just saying (laughs) I see what she's doing, that she's figured out there's a lot of things about the universe that that nobody likes. Well, I'm going to be the one who's actually going to do something about them. (laughs) Hmm. Well, wouldn't that be a paradox in a sense if she goes back and changes the creation of Earth, which she went and got all the intelligent people from? Therefore, she wouldn't have been able to do it in the first place. (sighs) Paradox. Engine. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a problem there. I mean, just once I caught the little thing about how the brain was going to grow until it was, you know, engulfed the whole planet, I thought, at this point, you think the brain is going to do what you say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very, very Metroid, uh, mother brain. <laughs> right. Oh, oh, uh, real quick, Kyle, before you go. Uh, I love the fact once they introduced the doctor into the mix, he just makes everything go haywire. <laughs> that was really fun because, you know, I guess they were all harmonious and everything until they put his crazy brain into the mix. And then she said it was going, uh, it was schizophrenic is I think the word she used. But, and of course we got a short example of that as they kind of chatted back and forth. I, I thought that was fun. I really love that. So permission to hurt your brains. Oh dear. Uh, uh Sure. <laughs> okay. All right. Since you're since you were so sure about that, there is a scene in the first uh, episode of this where the doctor's memory is temporarily quote unquote erased. I find that interesting considering things that we have recently seen. Mm-hmm. Remember that 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 was how the Ronnie gave the doctor this temporary amnesia because initially he recognized her when mm-hmm. uh, he you know first woke up and then she you know drugged or she gave him whatever she gave him and then you know dressed up as male etc and so forth so if you look at what the Ronnie does the Ronnie has experimented on people for the First and second time we've, and only time that we see her in canon. So if this comes to pass, I'm saying it here. What if, just like the doctor has things that have been erased from his memory, what if the Ronnie is actually Tecteum? That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. 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 Go, go write a book. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. Would would she would she keep killing over and over again? Well, but she's but maybe she doesn't remember. Maybe she doesn't. Maybe she doesn't remember herself. Yeah. Okay. Or himself, yeah. or have herself that he or she has been. Well, uh, I, I, say Alan Car- uh, Clarence. What do you? Uh, I said that would be an interesting twist for next season. Be a twist. <laughs> yeah. It's going to turn out to be the Ronnie. I'm just hey. Uh, uh, weirder things have happened. Weirder than indeed. Well, since you brought it up, uh, I, I'm still waiting for somebody who is uh, a, a, a more um, informed and nuanced who historian than I am to, to answer this. Because Clarence, um, uh, Kyle, and I were trying to figure this out this week. The doctor expressly refers to himself as this being his seventh persona. And I'm trying to remember if that has ever happened elsewhere in the history of classic who, if the doctor has ever acknowledged his his number before mm-hmm. uh but he does in any case in this episode he says this this doesn't bode well for my seventh persona mm-hmm. he also says that he is 953 years old 
Um, and, and I think that a lot of people have written over the years about uh, trying to figure out the chronology of, uh, the doctor's life, because by the time we reboot the series with, um, Christopher Eccleston, he'll say that he's 900 years old. So, uh, but, uh, you know, a lot of people lie about their age. You can blame it on the amnesia, I guess. We, could, we can blame it on that amnesia. And I can't find the quote now, but at some point, um, the third doctor said that he's been around for thousands of years. <laughs> and I, I think that part of the debate about that has been maybe what he means is he's he has traveled through thousands of years of history. Or maybe ah. he's just telling the truth. Or maybe he is a thousand years old. Oh, quit breaking my brain, guys. <laughs> so in lieu of what we know now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But. And, and, you know, this is this is very much like playing the Sherlock Holmes game of trying to to, to make a Watson's narrative make sense when we know that the that the reason why there are these inconsistencies is because Conan Doyle just wasn't paying attention to details sometimes, you know. And so that's what that's that's the real reason. But let's try to figure out what if <laughs> what if Watson's a reliable narrator? What 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 could that mean? So we got the same thing going here. I know the reason why he's 953 here and 900 later. It's just because nobody was paying attention to that, I don't think. But mm. but isn't it interesting? And the doctor says that he and Ronnie are the same age, that they're both 953. Mm. And that also adds credence, maybe, to what I was saying about who uh, the Ronnie <laughs> might be. And I'm going to give Mr. Chipnell a uh, positive note here. Maybe he's a lot more brilliant than we are giving him credit for. You mean you? Okay, oh. me. <laughs> you are, yeah. Hey, hey, I thought we were all in this together. Well, I'm disappointed by a lot of things about Chibnall's writing, but I, but I think in just in terms of ideas of concepts, then I think that a lot of the the things that he's put forward have been uh, terrific. Have just been really, you know, exciting and interesting. So. So, you know, an idea like, I don't know, who who Tecteum was. She'd have to be a lot older than that, though. Right, but she just doesn't uh, remember. She doesn't remember, I see. Okay. But what I do remember is I need to ask you guys, are there any other quotes or scenes or notes that you guys have that you wanted to talk about before we do our final writing? I usually like to have a favorite quote that I've picked out, and I and I am embarrassed to say that I just really don't. Nothing uh, jumped out here at me, and you, you might remind me of something later, and I would say, "Oh, well, of course that." You know. Okay. Oh, yes, sir. Wow. Uh, I, I really have to tell you, and Lee, of course. Mm. There's one quote that Lee used to be all over, actually. Uh, uh, when the doctor is talking to Einstein as they're walking, or they <laughs> oh the yes, cars. yes, and Einstein is playing with the controls, and he tells him to tell him to go to the next room, and he tells him, "I'll explain how it works later." It's yes, all all relative. relative. Yes, he did. Yeah. So did, I thought did. you guys would be on all that. <laughs> That's right. And I did let it go. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. I like it. I like it a lot. And I say that just because you said that. That's going to be my favorite quote. Okay, we'll do it for that. Okay, uh, it is fun to to uh, to enjoy all of the uh, the doctor's uh, sort of malapropisms uh, in this. He uh, he he started. He, he has all these uh, kind of classic idioms that we all know, but he's but he finishes them wrong. Time time and tide what melts the snowman. It's supposed to be time and tide waits for no man, but he remembers it as melts the melts the snowman. I can't even say it. 
So all of those are fun. And he actually mentions Mrs. Malaprop, from whom we get that name, which is funny when, when they're talking about characters who, if, if the human race is wiped out, then none of those people will exist. And uh, in quick succession, they mention a bunch of famous people, real people. But Mrs. Malaprop is a fictitious character. She's, <laughs> she's a character in a play. <laughs> So I think that was Pip and Jane kind of winking at us that uh, the, the, this script is actually full of malapropisms because she she talks like that all the time. That's why why we call them that, Mrs. Malaprop. Anyway, so so I, I enjoyed those things and getting to see Sylvester play the spoons. I have to wonder if the if yeah. that was if that wasn't in his contract or something. He's, Do I get to play the spoons? That was awesome. Yes. Yes, you can play this back. And that makes me understand or remember or, well, ultimately understand why the 12th Doctor did it. That's right. That's right. Sylvester is the is the actor from this series, from Classic Who, that I've actually spent the most time with. I have been to three different conventions and have actually kind of got to hang around with him and just talk sometimes. So, And I was actually in a, in a, with a group of people where he was playing the spoon show of them. And he does the thing where he goes around hitting people on the head with them. And he hit me on the shoulder with his... So, oh, so uh, yeah. So I've I, I've been one note in his, uh, <laughs> and we also got to talk a little bit about that um, Antarctic uh, film that I was telling you about. So uh, I've got inside dope about that from from Sylvester. Anyway, well, I have, and I'm going to pose this to someone who I know listens to our episodes. I would be curious to know and hear about how the British audience received this episode specifically. Did they know that the doctor had been cast in advance? And did Sylvester McCoy get any negative pushback initially if the fans were watching and then all of a sudden you're expecting to see Colin Baker and here's mm. this other doctor, no matter how great he may have been, did did he get any initial feedback or pushback from that. So Dave Cooper, if you are listening and I'm 99.99999% sure that you are, I'm curious to know, did you experience yourself or know of any negative pushback that Sylvester got when he first took over the role? Real quick, I just want to mention three things real quick that we didn't talk about. I actually loved how uh, Kate, Amara, um, Kate Amara dressed up as male, I, I thought because of their similar body types, it worked. Um, you know, she didn't look exactly like her, but I thought it was <laughs> convincing enough for a doctor with amnesia to be confused. You know, that's right. It fooled the tetrap too. They, they yeah, shot. <laughs> yeah. So I really enjoyed that. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, also, two things that I can't forgive. I guess um, one is when the doctor puts. Some he puts some rope or something around the Ronnie. He ties her up, but then he just runs off. And he had her tied up. Why did he run off? It it just didn't make any sense to me. And the last little gripe I have is when they entrap the Ronnie in one of those chambers that they were using for the super smart people. Yeah. She has this thing on her wrist which can do a lot of things now. It can send those bugs to kill the uh, the Laker Lucretia people. Uh-huh. It can launch a rocket, but it couldn't get her out of chamber. <laughs> yeah, you mean her call for old, help. old, 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 old school Apple Watch. Yeah. <laughs> Apple Watch 1.0. Yeah, I'm done. All right, cool. <laughs> good, 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 good points. Because I totally intended to mention the the thing on her arm, and I forgot. Yeah. So, so I'll point it back at you. 
Mr. Brown, your rating. What say ye? Uh, one rocket fired at an asteroid out of one. <laughs> I don't know. That's all I got. Just one, man. Right. I, I, did, I didn't like it at all. <laughs> all right. Lee, what say ye? I'm going to give it two Mel Bush's screeching in a bubble. (laughs) (laughs) And won't they cancel each other out? (laughs) Right. If only. Uh, All right. Well, believe it or not, I am going to give this a five. I'm going to give it a five. What? Yes. Wait, 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 wait. Bear with me. Bear with me. I'm going to give it a five. That will be ultimately destroyed for of by the screeching sound of screaming, Melanie. Mm. And after that, I will be left with one. And that, cause that's all I can give it because oh, man. it, I mean, literally it like it, it sounded like nails on a chalkboard. It, it graded. I, and so I even put my hearing aids in and had to take the things out <laughs> uh, because it was yeah. giving me feedback. So yeah. one. It- they really missed the opportunity by having her scream to get out of the the bubble trap, which almost killed her. The scream would have that that would have made more sense. I think, yeah. So one last thing, and I said I was going to leave her alone. This is the <laughs> only time that I was ever like, yes, oh, she's going to get killed. But she, <laughs> Kyle, how dare you? I don't even know you right now. Yeah. Uh, you'll get you'll 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 remember who I am by next week. So <laughs> but but I I will be nice enough since you even though you don't know who I am, I do know who you are. And I'm going to say where else can you be found, my friend, who you do not know on the internet. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, check out the TechPedition podcast, which can be found at techpedition.com, where we've re- recently rebooted our beloved podcast. And um, a lot of good stuff in the recent episode, but we talk about etiquette for video conferencing a little bit in that episode. So definitely check it out. Uh, a lot of fun. That's techpedition.com. Oh, cool. I want to listen to that, even though you don't know who I am. But I think the other person on this podcast <laughs> hasn't temporarily abandoned me yet, even though, you know, screeching, screeching Mimi should have <laughs> ballooned or whatever. Um, Mr. Lee Shackelford, what say you? I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to close caption you here because I've lost my hearing and I can't <laughs> follow, follow along. Oh, uh, yeah, relativitypodcast.com. We're still on hiatus, and uh, but, uh, you know, uh, check out what's going on there at uh, relativitypodcast.com. And uh, as I mentioned last week, I also want to point people towards um, a, a, the um, – a very unique uh, podcast audio drama, and you'll find it at CorrectionsSurvival.com. It's called Corrections Survival of the Fittest, story written and performed by inmates in a maximum security penitentiary, and they're better actors than you would expect. So that's for me. How about you? All right. For me, I will point everyone this time to discussing comics. I had an very interesting conversation, a very enjoyable conversation with a gentleman by the name of Ashford Wright. I have recently been a guest on his Straight Out of Gallifrey Doctor Who podcast, and he came on discussing comics to talk about the Birds of Prey comic book series, as well as the character, the Huntress, and both versions of the character, the Huntress. So 
Awesome, awesome conversation. So discussingcomics.com. And I will also throw in, since we are still living in the age of coronavirus as we're recording this, it's very important that we all remember to wash our hands. So check out Listen, Rinse, Repeat, which will give you snippet episodes about a minute long or a little under that, that you can listen to while washing your hands. Listen, Rinse, and Repeat. Yes. And the pod, the website there is listen, rinse, repeat podcast.com. Cool veins. So thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Mr. Shackleford, Mr. Clarence Brown for also being with me as always. And, and with that, we will be back minus the screeching next time. You've been listening to the discussing network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com.